Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 93. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Legacies aren't built overnight as they take time to develop, and they're also built when you're not even focusing on them. And our guest, Taj Boyd, built a legacy at Clemson University far bigger than he could have ever imagined. Taj would be named the starting quarterback by head coach Dabo Sweeney in 2011 while helping the Tigers win the ACC championship for the first time since 1991. And that was before he was named the ACC Player of the Year and First Team All-American in 2012 with a dramatic win in the Chick-fil-A Bowl against LSU. And he would then finish his career at Clemson as the all-time leader in career passing yards and career passing touchdowns en route to an Orange Bowl victory versus Ohio State in 2013. And Taj and I, we were able to sit down together shortly after the annual rivalry game versus South Carolina, which you can also watch our conversation on either our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel or Facebook page. Here's episode 93 with Taj Boyd. Taj, I know we've been trying for a long time. Thank you, sir. Well, Richmond Weaver, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad I can finally get here, man. So. <laughs> no, it's the other yeah. way around. I'm very thankful that you're here. First and foremost, we got to talk about it. Your impressions of Clemson's 21-point victory. I guess 21 points are a problem these days. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I kind of get where some of the people is coming from, but I also realize where the coaches are coming from and their take as well. Um, obviously, you know, the Clemson support base, fan base, felt like there was a lot of meat left on the bones. Um, I look at it totally different as if, you know, Jake Bentley just played a terrific game. And the fact that Debo Samuel, uh, Sha Smith, uh, Brian Edwards are all tremendous athletes, tremendous wide receivers are going to do great, great things in the NFL. So I just take it for what it is. Um, knowing how that locker room operates, how that coaching staff works, I mean, it's something that is going to be correctable. When I'm talking about what I'm talking about, it's about the defense and the amount of yards that Jacob Bentley was able to put up. Um, because one of the things that I think that I was pretty excited about or optimistic about was the fact that the offense was able to go out there and do what they did. Uh, when you look at how Trevor Lawrence has been progressing this entire season, uh, when you look at the way Travis Etienne has been running the ball, I mean, obviously they've had success this year. But in my mind, sometimes it it came uh, because of, you know, because the defense was allowing them to get the ball back, allowing them to get so many possessions, allowing them to play with short short fields, you know. So uh, to know that they can go out there, sustain a 90-yard drive, do it multiple times, you know, that shows me a lot about where this offense uh, has been and, and where it's going uh, in the direction that they're under with Trevor Lawrence. So I was really impressed with that mainly because – some point, man, like you're going to have to get into a shootout. And it's just a matter of you being able to do that. And uh, I think those guys on offense showed me that they could do it. And how hard is it for defenses to stop offenses? Because that's my point, too, is that yeah. it's very difficult, and especially now as the yeah. offenses have evolved so much. Absolutely. So from your standpoint. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially when you're talking about the way offenses are evolving, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we can go back to that Kansas City um L.A. Rams game. All right. So here we got, you know, prolific offenses and we got just 
all stars on defense on both sides of the field. We got you know Marcus Peters playing quarterback over here. We got you know uh, Ron Parker playing safety for the other team. And there's some guys back and forth, and the amount of points and yards that were able to be uh, put up in that game just seemed like their defense were non-existent. But it's not that more than it is uh, these new defensive coordinators uh, trying to figure out what these new offenses look like in a sense. Being able to stretch you horizontally and vertically, uh, that's a tough tough matchup, you know? So we're starting to see some of the carryover from these collegiate-style offenses move into the NFL, hence the motions, the misdirections, and everything else of that nature. So I think we're starting to see a different time in football together. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, from, from Brent's standpoint, the game is now matchup. All right, it's... How can I put my best defender on their best offensive player? But if I don't necessarily have that, it's figuring out how to how to shift and move and change some of that up a little bit, you know. Um, so Clemson on defense this past week were in situations that they didn't necessarily want to be in, could afford to be in. Uh, they try to stop it. They try to bring uh, extra layer uh, from a linebacker standpoint to bring in blitz. But if you're going to do that, you got to be able to get to the quarterback. Jake was able to sit back and make right. throws. Uh, and I think he got rid of the ball pretty fast beat as the, well. Beat the blitz with the throws. So he did a tremendous job in that fact, man, uh, because you can look the week prior against Duke. Daniel Jones couldn't get his feet set the entire game, and we saw how that turned out. So the fact that Jake was able to do that uh, and then get the ball to the receivers obviously just showed me that, you know, Jake's progressed too. So uh, I'm just a fan of the game, man. You know, as much as I'm a Clemson homer, I still look at it for what it is, and those guys just played a terrific game. And from your perspective, when yeah. you mentioned like Daniel Jones wasn't able to get his feet set, so right. what's the most annoying thing as a quarterback when you're back there? Is it yeah. the the pressure, or I mean, what's I think, I drives think you crazy? A lot of that is it. I mean, it's getting into a rhythm of a game. Uh, every quarterback is built different, and it comes to a sense where now these coaches and these coordinators have to figure out how to make their quarterback comfortable as early as possible. Because the longer they're out of rhythm, you know, the longer it's going to stay like that. Uh, for instance, when I was running – when I played quarterback at Clemson, uh, Chad Morris, uh, Dabo Sweeney will let me get implemented into the run game early. They knew I needed to be hit in order for me to settle down uh, and to get in the rhythm. So – first three plays of a game, I would do a quarterback power, quarterback draw. So that was by design. Absolutely. They wanted you to go ahead and feel right. the hits out right. there, calm of, your nerves. Not, you know, some some cases I was able to go out there first play, throw a bomb, but most of the time I'm throwing <laughs> that damn thing in the stands over there. So <laughs> it's just a, it was just a matter of me getting in the rhythm and getting comfortable. Um, and, and has that been throughout your career? You always, always like, like to yeah, cause, I mean, I get, get hit a few times? I mean, just the butterflies, the anxiety before every game, you know, whether it was against, uh, you know, the Citadel, or whether or South Carolina State, or, or it was against you know Georgia, uh, it really didn't matter to me because I loved the game so much and was so passionate about it that uh, I just wanted to go out there and do great things. And with that came all of the other other stuff. But now I, I have to ask though, you, yeah. you're comparing Citadel to Georgia game, but we know they're different. Well, so, yeah. from, but from your standpoint. Was there much difference? Did did it really matter who the opponent was no, in terms no, of your nerves? No, not necessarily because it was all about me executing. So, I mean, that five-yard out route against the Citadel is going to be that same five-yard out route against Georgia. So, if I'm not hitting on all cylinders, I feel some type of way about it. I mean, I've been playing the game since I was seven years old, so you have no choice but to somewhat become a, a perfectionist. And the only way for me to go out there and feel that way was for me to get banged up a little bit. And you mentioned starting to play when you were seven years old. Mm-hmm. So let's let's rewind the clock yeah. back to 
Little Taj, seven years Little old. Taj. Yeah. Was Little that, Taj didn't want to play football for real. Okay, yeah. so how did you come about having this passion for football? How did you get involved at you know, that I, early age? I liked age? it, man. And, and it's funny, man, because a lot of the experiences that I have in football are starting to relate back to everything else now, you know, business or the the conversations that I have with some of the some of the current quarterbacks in college football. Um, everything is kind of relative in a sense, and it all relates. Um, but my dad was in the Navy. All right, so he was a pretty good player, but he only played in high school, so he never got a chance to play college. So all that energy that he would have exerted playing college ball got poured into me at seven <laughs> years old. You know, so I uh, started off playing uh, left guard and D tackle. Um, I guess so. Not you, quarterback. No, no, not at all. I didn't really play quarterback till ten, and, and a lot of that, man. When you talk about seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, the coach's kids are playing quarterbacks the whole bit, so you know how that I've goes. I've seen that. That's right. Um, but I remember vividly, man, we were playing the Ingleside Broncos. At the time, I was playing for the Little Creek Gators, and quarterback threw an interception, and I'm chasing the ball down the field, and I get you know my helmet almost knocked off, you know, get a crackback block. And at that point, I mean, I cried so much. But it wasn't. I didn't cry because I was hurt. I cried because I looked to see my mom over there looking all sad. So, you know, it, it was like that pity cry, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's funny now. And so at that point it. you were like, I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm sure if football is for me. Yeah, no, nah, I, I wanted to quit, man. But um, the next year got a little bit better and, and the next year a little bit better after that. And, you know, interestingly enough, man, at, at 10 years old, um, I played on the first uh, Virginia Beach Pop Warner football team. All right, so it was just – uh, new into the area and the coaches that started this pop warner team uh, had been like rec league all-star coaches all right so i mean they're were, they were recruiting all of these guys and now i, I want to say my dad saw an ad in the paper or something like that because obviously facebook didn't exist um but my dad was like you're gonna go try out for this team but the team was a junior major team now you know at, at 10 i mean technically i could have played junior peewee as an older lighter so and and the Pop Warner sense, just to kind of give you an understanding, you got Mighty Mites, Junior Pee Wee, Pee Wee, Junior Midget, Midget, Midget goes up to 16, Junior Midget goes up to 13. This whole team is 13. Yeah, so 10. you were young. Yeah. So uh, I didn't play much that season, but that's where a lot of my confidence was gained at. And on that same team just happened to be uh, a couple of guys, Bubba Jenkins, who was uh, the national champion wrestler at Arizona State, was currently a UFC fighter, and also Percy Harvin, who in Florida Gator lore is a legend in that sense. Um, so, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty amazing experience. Uh, I mean, we had to ride Percy Harvin's coattail the entire season, but he led us to the national championship that year. Went down to Disney Wild World of Sports. It was the first time I was exposed to uh, a game that was televised. So it was a great experience. Whole other world for you now, right? Absolutely. So (laughs) I can still remember the Hollywood Tower of Terror like it was yesterday. (laughs) I've been on that ride too, yes. (laughs) The the only time I went to Disney. But that year, you know, we used to do Oklahoma drills. And and at this point in football, man, it might be outlawed. There's no telling, man. I don't know where the game is going. (laughs) But, you know, I got, obviously being the youngest on the team, I got put into a lot of situations where I had to continue to try to prove myself to these guys. And um, and was there times you wanted to quit? Well, yeah, because I just wasn't. I just too? had no respect, man. Like, because those, those guys didn't care, you know, that I, that I was on that team because I didn't contribute like that, right? So, we're Oklahoma drill, and they throw Bubba Jenkins, who, like I said, you know, is in the UFC right now, but he was 
Huge kid. I mean, horse collar, jacked up, had everything on, man. Just a monster. And, you know, I'm sitting here uh, with pony cleats on. This is, you know, <laughs> this is chubby chick. So I'll get out. And uh, coach blows the whistle. I get up and I'll tackle him. Right. And so now the next pissed, you know, the coaches are like, oh, my God, they're hyping it up to another level. Like, you let a 10-year-old tackle you. We can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. The next like, do it again. Got back up. They blew the whistle. This time I flipped him, right? You know, I'm going for the, for the you know, the thighs over here. Yeah, but we got him low. We got him on the ground. You yes. Know? And, you know, at this point the team, you know, rallies around me and everything else that nature. But for the first time, I felt like I really belonged, you know. So Was that a defining moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially because this game was a lot uh, mental in a sense. It gave me that confidence going forward. And you got to understand, man, like I was never the best player on any team that I played on. Ever. Junior, you know, little league, uh, middle school, uh, high school, ever. I was just always willing to put in the work that somebody else wasn't, man. So it was always me or uh, just, you know, persisting and, and just grinding and hoping that it worked out for the best. Um, middle school is the same way, man. I played for the Lancetown Lancers. So on Thursday nights, no, it was Wednesdays I would play my middle school game. And on Fridays I would play in my rec game. So I played on two teams. Yeah. I played for the uh, what was it the AP Hurricanes or something like that. Yeah, with Coach Tim, and then on Fridays I would, I would play for Coach Wirtz, you know, or on Wednesday I would play with Coach Wirtz mm-hmm. in the middle school. And I mean, just totally different cultures over there. But you know, double dipping, man, and playing on two different teams at one time was something else, man. Uh, and at this point, were you playing quarterback? Yeah, I was. I was. I finally transitioned into quarterback. And interestingly enough, man, like I'd never really had any. Now, oh, these kids got all these gurus training them, you know, at you know third grade up. Uh, my dad bought this book uh, and this VHS tape. The the book is like the fundamentals of quarterback, and it had a picture of Donovan McNabb up there. All right, this book this book is dated. Uh, the quarterback coaching VHS tape that he bought me was called Jeff Tricky's uh, Quarterback Camp. All right, so. I mean, he's literally making me sit down. Like when I say, like I was, my dad bred me for this, bro. He made me sit down and watch this film for three or four hours, and we're watching every fundamental of playing quarterback. He went out and made me this target. It was like a tarp, and it, I still got video of it. I mean, it's it's January first, you know, it's freezing cold outside, and he's you know I'm throwing at this target, man. And once you put a certain amount of work in. You know, that like becomes love. So it it became a passion by default, essentially, because that's the environment that I was in. But it was all around me. I, I couldn't escape it. There was no, you know, I'm going to be a coder. You know, there was, uh, you know, I'm going to be a, a geologist or a sports psychologist or biologist or any of that. You're going to be an athlete. Because where we were at, it was exactly that. I mean, at one point in middle school, I was there with E.J. Manuel, you know, high school Tyrod Taylor's my rival. I mean, I would go down to the gas station and see Bruce Smith, see Lawrence Taylor, see Ronald Currier, Alonzo Mourning. You know, the Vicks are from there. Iverson's from there. Cam Chancellor's right down the street. D'Angelo Hall played at Deep Creek. So it's all here. Oh, so it's I'm, amazing, so, the talent yeah, in that whole it's, it's unbelievable. Virginia Beach area. I was, I was the most unathletic out of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guys, think some would probably argue with yeah, that, though. All those guys are all-state basketball, so... You know, I was kind of the outsider. So were you just football only? Did you play Not other sports? sports? Just, you know, wasn't successful by any stretch. <laughs> Track got ran down by a girl in a 400 meter. You know, fans <laughs> of me, obviously girls flying, but at the time, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing. Basketball, 
I played all the way into the eighth grade, you know, and I didn't even try out for the eighth grade team. Coach was like, hey, man, you need to come out and play. Threw me a uniform. I jumped out there. And uh, my dad gets to the game at halftime. I'm sitting on the bench. He's like, why aren't you playing? And I was like, I fouled out. And he left me at the gym. <laughs> Legitimately. I had to catch a ride home. And I got he was home. done with he you. Done with it. You can't foul out of this game, I right? I got home. And he was like, hey, look, man. He said, look, you're done. You know. Turn your, turn your basketball stuff in tomorrow, man. Like we just we're just going full time football here. Full time yeah. football. Yeah. So did quarterback come natural to you in terms of it just the ball had a just nice flight naturally for you, or did you really have to work I at, it? at it, man? Like that's what, like nothing was. There was no ability where it was just natural. Nothing, you know, running, throwing, uh, none of that, man. Uh, I had a guy Terry Mitchell, uh, T.J. Mitchell. You know, he was a local high school quarterback who ended up signing to West Virginia, but I would work with him on the weekends at some point because he was the first person I saw that could make that football do anything he wanted. I mean, he would take it, flip it, throw it up. I mean, from me to Andy over here, the ball would drop like an elevator, man. And I was like, I want to be just like him, you know. And interestingly enough, man, again, I keep saying interestingly enough, but it is interesting to me. Uh, I talked to him in a few weeks ago. And, you know, to know that these guys have been following the journey, because obviously we, we lose touch at some point. You realize that this game means something to everybody. More rich, obviously, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be sitting here talking. Uh, and but, at this, so at this point, had you're going into high school. Mm-hmm. Had it become somewhat of a realistic goal that you were going to play in college? No. So it hadn't? No, it hadn't yet. Um, <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> Well, kind of like, all right, so from from 8th grade to 9th grade, I gained 40 pounds. All right. I went from 145 to 185. That's a big jump. It's a huge jump. I mean, I'm talking about protein powder, (laughs) creatine. I'm literally like knocking it out because I'm like, I want to be able to to be ready to play uh, at high school. And the high school I was at was called Lansdowne. So Percy was on this team too. Um, And this team hadn't hadn't lost a game in however long. So Chris Beatty was the head coach there at the time. Chris Beatty is now – I want to say he's the receivers coach at Maryland. So, you know, he ended up taking that leap. But I played JV, and I played a few snaps of varsity that year. And the reason that I remember the snaps I had on varsity is because I I can't remember how many times I got told I was selfish. So I'm going to give you a little. (laughs) When you mean selfish, yeah, so explain that. So, I mean, we're up like 48 points, and they're like, boy, get in the game. And there's a senior running back, you know. So literally all we're doing is like – Zone reads the whole way down the field. I mean, I'm just handing it, handing it, handing it. And this guy takes us like 60 yards down the field. I get down to the four-yard line. I pull it to score. <laughs> I'm getting up and I'm celebrating. And the rest of the team looking at me like, are you serious, bro? <laughs> You're supposed to hand it off to the guy who just – to finish it. He was a senior. That's right. You know, I never felt more disgusted in myself uh, at that time. But, hey, it's, it's – As a learning it's a lesson. For me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think his name was Edwin or something like that. So, if you ever come across this, I'm sorry, my dude. You know, <laughs> There's the apology right there, myself. right? We, we've got the official apology. <laughs> Taj stole your touchdown. It yeah, should have been yeah, yours. Absolutely, man. So uh, the high school coach actually was in the process of leaving. We didn't know that, though. Nobody knew that. Like, again, because I wanted to play quarterback at this high school because this was the staple in Virginia football. So – during this process, my dad had, like I say, my dad's been like the orchestrator behind all of this. You know, he's, I mean, essentially, he was Geppetto and I'm poking Pinocchio at the time. You know, I got to put the work in, but he's making sure I'm taking care of, of course. all ends of it. Uh, so, across the water, so there's a bridge that connects everything. Hampton, 
to Hampton Newport News to Norfolk. There's a bridge that goes from Norfolk to Virginia. So everything is connected through the water, which is called why they call it Hampton Road 757. It's in the water the whole bit. Uh, but Tyra was over there wreaking havoc at the time. And high school football over in Hampton Newport News, Hampton, Newport News um, is at a level I still have never seen. I mean, it's because again of the talent there. Just, just the appreciation and the love that the people have for football. Lance Town, the school that I was at, um, real artsy. You know, football was cool. You know, and they won, but it was everything but that. It was brand new. And I had the Newport News. It was some of the trenches, you know. So you, all you got is football and the bands. Uh, so I don't know if you ever seen the HBCU, HBCU band. Oh, I have. Uh, you know, Norfolk State, Hampton, all of that. I mean, it hits at another level. So that was essentially that. Um, I go first time my dad's been going back and forth. He calls his coach named Bill D. And was like, Hey, I got a son. He plays quarterback. You know, coach is like, Oh yeah, you know, he's freshman. Yeah, we don't care, man. You know, whatever. You know, this is how Bill talks, man. And uh, eventually, my dad pulls me out of school from Lansdowne because at the time, you know, once football season ends at Lansdowne, I mean, you transition it to the next sport. You know, the weight room really shuts down for the most part. You know. Um, they get ready for basketball season, track, and everything else. Over there, though, over at Newport News, football, football all year, year long. So the day that they lose their, their their playoff game, they're in the gym the next day. And this gym is like old school, bro, like old bat and cage looking deal. Uh, the gym at the time, gymnasium floor, has holes in it because it wasn't hardwood. It was like mat. It's like a wrestling mat. So, I mean, I'm sitting here. My dad's taking me over here to visit with the coach and the players. And I got on some nice shoes, and they're looking at me. I'm like, damn, they about to steal my shoes over here, you know? <laughs> and, like, this school literally doesn't have windows in the front. There's no windows in this school. Every every room is connected by dividers. So if somebody gets in a fight, they're knocking down the whole classroom, literally. Wow. Yeah, so it's, yeah, I mean, you know, if I would have you know, made up, you know, 20, $25 million, I would have gave it back and done it to the school, but we didn't we didn't make it that rich. So it That's right. One of these days. One of these days. <laughs> we're, we're on our way, though, right? <laughs> but um, I'll tell you, we get – my dad was like, all right, look, they're having like a 707, a passing league. So uh, essentially, for the people who don't know what that is, it's, it's 707 football. It's football without tackles. So it's just me versus, and the receivers versus the DBs and linebackers. And the first time I get out there, I throw the football. They're like, oh, this guy from the beach is all right, you know, because um, they didn't have Start a Start proving your worth. Yeah, you know, and uh, eventually make that transition over literally – was the best decision uh, that my dad and I could ever made, uh, mainly because it put us in the, in the position to do whatever we really wanted to from a recruiting standpoint. But the first year I start, man, I get, you know, when I get nervous, my hands sweat, you know. It's kind of just, it's always been like that. And this one finger, this pointer finger is always frozen. I guess I got black, bad blood circulation <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But I'm getting out there for my first game and I'm nervous. I'm playing against Maury. Uh, it's the same school that Cam Chancellor uh, was at at the time. So I played against Cam and, you know, I handed the ball off like 45 times, you know. I, I literally threw the ball like twice, man. So we won the game. And Just that, manage the game. That's all that's they it. wanted you and, to do. And that whole entire season, um, I threw the ball. I mean, I had like 14, 15 touchdowns, but really I was just kind of making sure that, that everything was on track. I ran the ball. I was a pretty physical dude because at the time, I mean, even in 10th grade, you know, I was bench pressing 225, I don't know, 16, 17 times. So, I mean, I could throw it up. Yeah, you were throwing that up. Um, That's no joke. Yeah. So, at that age. Yeah. yeah. 
Who's lifting? Yeah, my dad used to have some lifting, man. So protein, creatine, you know. Exactly. Hey, that'll do it. Can you do that right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do I can do twenty two twenty five about well, I just threw up last night, four oh five. How many times? Twice. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you still got I mean, it, my man. My eyes almost popped out. But, you know, <laughs> now we got to get back onto the cardio because the lifting just ain't cutting it. You know, got to start running more. But uh, we go that year, and you know, eventually I had to start trying to playing a bigger role in that season. You know, we get down to the playoffs and everything else of that nature, and uh, we lost to Tyrod Taylor uh, in the regular season, and I mean it was the most embarrassing deal, bro. I got hit, flew underneath. Kind of the bleachers where the player sat at the whole bit. It's a guy named uh, Jacoby Finner. He's an unbelievable player. But fortunately for us, Tyrod and Hampton uh, and the Hampton Crabbers lost in the first round of the playoffs. So we didn't have to see him again. We ended up winning the state championship that year. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I mean, I still look at the interviews uh, that I had and I had these braces in and my hair was, you know, snappy and everything. <laughs> it was rough. Bro. I looked rough in the video. I was like, geez. Uh, Did you have a beard back then? No, no, there was nothing. 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 I didn't have anything when I came to Clemson, so I don't know, you know. So you're baby face back yeah, then, man. huh? You know, okay. 80,000 fans will get you. Get you <laughs> I got a couple gray hairs now. You know, I imagine bit. you do. <laughs> but, um, all right, so it doesn't seem like I did much, right, during that time period. I mean, obviously I was working towards football, but I wasn't at a high level yet. All right. So since we didn't throw the football a lot, my dad was making sure that in the offseason I was going to camps and things of that nature. This is the way we did it. And again, you still didn't have any type of quarterback guru, coach, no, no, or anything. No, 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 You're no. just going to these At camps. At this point, I'm just, well, we're going to the Nike camps and everything else of that nature, Spark. So what my dad would do is he would do his research, and he'll find which top quarterback was going to which location. All right, so he'd be like, all right, who's the top quarterback uh, in North Carolina? What camp's he going to? He's going to Penn State. All right, that's where we're going. So I got my first offer after my sophomore year. First offer was Boston College. So and you hardly been throwing the ball. Hardly been throwing the ball. So at that point, it was like, all right, this is. But they saw you at these camps. Yeah, and I mean, I was ripping it, you know. But the coach at the time just didn't let me throw the football. You know, it was that just wasn't his style of play. Literally, it's Alabama all over again. And my junior and senior year of high school, it's exactly what what Saban doesn't like right now. It was all on my shoulders to a point, you know, because we got to throw the football to win games. And the moment that becomes, uh, you know, what your style of play is, if you're a run first guy, you hate that, you know. Um, so Boston College was my first offer. You know, after that, man, I started hitting the circuit, making some noise a little bit. And, you know, my junior year, I mean, I threw for 2,700 yards, you know, 30 touchdowns, two, three interceptions or something like that. Uh, we lose in the state semis. Um, you know, at this point, you know, I, I've become, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, you're known now. Yeah. I mean, I got – all these offers coming in and things of that nature. My coach is like, hey, man, we don't give a damn. We just want to win games. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Now, who did you grow up as a fan? What um, college teams? I, I never really had I mean, never really had one. I grew up with a Bulldog, Georgia Bulldog fan. You did? Yeah, because uh, I was born in Albany, Georgia. Albany. You know, Albany, that's right. So, yeah, so my dad was a Bulldog fan. I mean, I got pictures of me in onesies that are, that are Bulldog written in. You know, obviously wanted to offer from those guys, but in that same class that I came out of, Zach Mattenberger and Aaron Murray were in the same class. So, you know, couldn't take three Elite 11 quarterbacks at one time. Um, it seems like some schools will now. They will now, yeah. Because, I mean, you don't know who's leaving and who's staying these days. Uh, but, yeah, that whole deal, man, was 
it's pretty special in itself. Um, go down to uh, the Elite 11 going into my senior year, and that was a cool experience as a whole because in that class it was Matt Barkley, it was Geno Smith, it was A.J. McCarron, it was Matt Berger, it was Murray, um, Brent Renner who went to UNC, pretty much set all their records. Uh, Tom Savage. Um, I mean, it's a who's who's class yeah, of quarterbacks. Absolutely. And then so they have camp counselors every year. So college – uh, current college quarterbacks who are transitioning to the NFL, and the camp counselor were Chase Daniels, Curtis Painter, who played at Purdue, uh, Mark Sanchez, Colt McCoy, and Matt Stafford. Wow. And Chase Daniels, like he had three 12 packs just knocking them back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to go out there. And see, that was the life, see, man. That was, man. I mean, I think Mark Sanchez was dating, dating even Longoria at the time or something like that, but living a life at USC, you know. But that was the first time I saw, like, like I had a strong arm, you know. At least that's what I thought. Then I saw Matt Did Stafford. Did you see a difference? Oh, my gosh, bro. Like, Matt Stafford could kill, the, kill somebody with a football. <laughs> and Mettenberger was the same way. Mettenberger was kind of a uh, kind of a different kind of guy. We'll be in the middle of a camp, and he's like, hey, watch this slant right here. I'm about to break this receiver's fingers. And I'm like, why, bro? He got to catch the football. Throw a catchable football. That's always been my whole deal there. So, Mettenberger was literally trying to take people's fingers off, man. So That doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense, you know. So how far can you throw a football? Uh, at my peak, seventy three yards or so. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. Football, man. Again, you know, it was all it was all the ground at that point. Never, never went on. Never went to parties in high school. Uh, so the only time I actually. So you didn't get in trouble in high school. You were always the, man, the good because kid. it was so much. It was so much going around, man. Like, you know, half of the team that I was on was in gangs. Um, I mean, my senior year, we had about. Five, six classmates get murdered. It was just, I mean, it was a rough deal, bro. So, you know, I kind of stayed to myself for the most part. Went out there and did what I needed to do on the football field. Uh, stayed at the house and just really try to perfect my craft every day, man. So every day I would do something. I would go. And if I was if I didn't throw the football, I would literally sit there and go through the motion. Um, you know, I was always rolling something out, lifting weights the whole bit. So everything that I had was dedicated towards that. Uh, so when I went on my college visits was the first time I actually had went out and, and seen, you know, what parties look like. Um, so that's a, I mean, it's a rude way. That was eye-opening for yeah. you, right? Yeah, you know, Tennessee, Eric Berry was my host. You know, Ohio State, Terrell Pryor, Mike Brewster was my host. Uh, Oregon, there was a kid, Darren Thomas, who ended up uh, starting over there. West Virginia, it was, it was Pat White and uh, Jared Brown. And then at Clemson, I had uh, Brandon May. So, yeah, I'm getting all these big dogs, and then I get B-made. Yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Clemson, th- like, this this relationship was never really – I mean, obviously, I guess it was supposed to be here, but it was really never supposed to happen this way. I mean, I had 60-something offers coming out of high school and not one from Clemson. All right, so the only reason I even got to Clemson was through uh, the guys that I met at the Army All-American game. Hell, the, reason I, the reason I got to the Army All-American game is because my dad literally – email called those guys for like four straight months and then i was the last addition to the game and then you're mvp mvp they drove 18 hours man to come see it so it was special man because i mean they literally gave me everything they had to ensure that i was successful in in all of my endeavors so you know you can never thank them enough uh from that uh but yeah i meet rob mcdowell i met malachi goodman uh i met bryce mcneil and at this time, man, I'm so cool with all of my Ohio State buddies, uh, Dorian Bell, uh, Jamie, who played, you know, safety over there, Corey Brown, 
um, all of these guys. So I feel like I'm a Buckeye. The reason I even wore 10 was because of Troy Smith, you know. So it was tough for me to say no to those guys, man, um, especially when you go to the visit. You go to Woody Hayes Center. You got Trussell sitting there uh, talking to me. He got the Heisman Trophy sitting next to the 10 jersey. He's like, hey, you know, Taj, we're going we're gonna, to uh, retire this number, but if you come here, you can have it. I mean, that's a pretty tough deal, you know. Of course. Absolutely. Um, Did you commit to them at all? I told him I was coming, yeah. I mean, Eddie George walking around, you know, so, you know, I have, I'm having a great time with Trail Pryor. You know, TP's <laughs> like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, I'm coming, bro. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. That's I'm right. Here, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Danny Pierman um, knew my high school coach from when he used to coach at Virginia Tech. There was a crowd of guys there, so. Uh, Danny was the end because at the time I was done with my recruiting. All right, I had one visit left, and that mis- that visit was either going to be Michigan or Kansas State. I mean, Bill Snyder sounded like he was going to fall asleep over the phone. And he was an older, older gentleman. And then Michigan just because I always wanted to see uh, what that looked like. Um, Danny Pierman called my, my coach and was like, look, you know, we got a new guy here, Dabo Sweeney, you know. <laughs> He's a great dude, man. He was like, I know Taj is, you know, kind of figuring this thing out. But, you know, if, if he wants to, you know, let Coach Swinney come to the house, you know. And, and my coach is like, all right, Taj, look, man, I told you we were done with the recruiting because he was sick of it too. You know, I was such a – I was his highest profile player that ever played for him, so he was annoyed by it. He was, he was Pennsylvania too, so. Were you sick of it? Were you tired of it? Yeah, yeah, I really was, man. I mean, because I had already committed to, to West Virginia. They committed, went to Tennessee. Kiffin told me pretty much I wasn't good enough. And then uh, I had all these roundabouts. And it could have been, you know, I always give a story about why I committed to Clemson, but it could have just been they were the last school that I, I sat down with. So <laughs> By default, <laughs> right? By default, yeah. <laughs> you were, you were done and like, all right, let's, yeah. just, let's just end this. But now Sweeney came in, man, and eventually. Uh, yeah, so what was his message to you? Why'd you gravitate towards Man, Coach because he was, he was sincere. He was genuine. And he just told me, he was like, look, man, I'm not you know, Jim Trussell. I'm not Mike Bellotti, Chip Kelly. I'm, I'm none of that. You know, I can't tell you what I've done because I haven't. Um, I don't have any accolades, nothing. He was like, but, you know, you can come here and you'll be my first quarterback at my first recruiting class, and I think we could do something special together. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, you know, I got Ohio State over here. And I got Oregon sitting over here. Chip Kelly has literally been flying into Virginia every other week for the entire season. I mean, one time he came in, the whole school got locked down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> True story, man. And um, it was just something about Coach Sweeney, man. And he told us his whole backstory, where he came from. You know, his mom lived with him in college. His dad battled alcoholism, you know, drugs, you know, the whole bit. Uh, I think he was in real estate for a while or something like that. All of this, man, and, and yeah, he's st- he's sitting in the living room. So I mean, you look at I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's like, all right, if a guy can go through all that and still be standing, those are the people you want to be around. That's yeah. the guy because he's been through everything that life could deal him, and he's he's rose above it all. Uh, but more importantly, selling me, he had to sell my mom. You know, my mom. You know, he left. My mom was like, oh my god, you're gonna play for him, and uh, I had to create myself on a video game. To even see what I would look like in that uniform because <laughs> orange and purple is such a weird combination, yeah, that's man. That's right. And, um, man, this was like two weeks before signing day. So it really out of the blue, man. Yeah, I mean, this was, was last like, minute. This was last minute, yeah. And I had tore my ACL. All right, so I missed the whole part where I tore my ACL. Yes, that's right. right. I tore my ACL the third week of the regular season in high school. All right, we was playing Warwick. 
and I tried to throw. While I was about to throw a slant, play broke down. I scrambled, tear it, pop the whole bit. I knew something was wrong, obviously, because I got up and my knee just kept snapping back. Right, it was nothing holding uh, my knee in place. I get back to the sideline, and you know the doc does his whole knee shaking test, figuring out if it was if it had any stability or anything. And I told you my coach was like just a kind of a stickler kind of guy He's from Ohio. I mean Pennsylvania, so you know he just thought differently. And I heard the I heard the doc tell him something like, "Hey man, I think it's torn." And he looks back at me, and I'm crying over here with my visor on. He was like, hey, man, hey, tape it up real quick, you know. <laughs> so I literally got, like, duct tape, taped my knee in place. He threw me back out there in the field, and I'm running down the field, and my knee is popping popping out of place, bro, like just disgusting, man. And obviously I knew something was wrong at that point. I go get um, <clears throat> an MRI, and obviously the results came back that I had a, a, a torn ACL. And at that point, I mean, I figured it was over. So we had put in a lot of time because my junior season, we lost in the state semis. All right. And, you know, we were like, man, we, we want to win a state championship. So that whole offseason was dedicated to that. I mean, every day, bro. Like, there was there was no McDonald's. Everybody was committed. Everybody was committed to it. I mean, that's what we did. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't want to jeopardize that. So I asked uh, the doctor. I was like, hey, you know, can I play with it? He's like, well, you can't can't tear it anymore so you could he's like but it's it's gonna hurt man um so i sat out two weeks and i remember riding up to the practice with my mom looking out the window literally crying because i wanted to be out there with my guys man um yeah played 13 weeks with it and And you did it and you guys end up winning we won we won a state championship yeah so i got carted off the field a few times you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> if I, if I, could I go back again and do it probably not man I just you know I wouldn't I'm like jeez for what you know but yeah do you look back and think yeah. what in the hell was so, I doing so man it's three years started man 43 and two two state championships I mean we finished my senior year the number two team in the country so it's a pretty special deal we had an opportunity to play Burns but my coach wasn't for that TV stuff so he was like hell no we're not playing on TV we're gonna play our schedule here you know so what a small world. Can I'm you imagine you, if that would have happened? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right? So, yeah, um, pretty special deal, man, there. But, I mean, Coach Sweeney was just – I remember the first time I got here, man. And it was my first time away from my my parents, my family, all of that. Everything was foreign to me. And, you know, we go through the conversation that most freshmen do. You know, I'm sitting there. My roommates are Bryce McNeil, Rob McDowell, Jonathan Meeks. And, you know, first year we all red – well, we all red shirt and we're sitting there talking and – we're all talking about where we're going to transfer to and everything else, you know. <laughs> so where were you we're going? Like, Bro, we're getting out of here. And I don't know where I said I was going, man. It was so crazy. And so why why were you thinking that you were going to transfer? I don't know. I mean, first off, Just I, was, being I, was young. Still, I was still battling through my – trying to recover on my, my ACL. Uh, but I wanted to play. Um, that's just that's what I've always done. And I was like, man, uh, we got Willie Corner here. We got Cal Parker. Cal Parker was – you know, first off, just a terrific athlete altogether. You know, but he also played baseball. Um, and he had that whole deal where everybody thought he was leaving, you know, because he got drafted and he ended up coming back. And I remember reading a, a quote from Coach Swinney, like, I ran around the neighborhood in my boxers. And I was like, well, if you feel that strongly about him, like, he doesn't necessarily care about yeah, me. Yeah, what so about like, me right here? Like, I'm out of here, bro. And Coach Swinney came and sat down with me. He said, look, Taj, he said, I'm going to just shoot you straight. He was like, I'll never put you on that field until you're ready to go out there and play. That's Did you appreciate that? Yeah, absolutely. Hindsight, yeah, for sure. 
And, uh, but was that hard for you to hear at that time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you just never knew what it was going to be. Um, because you're spending your life, your whole entirety, you know, doing that, man, uh, playing ball. And all you want to do is get out there and sling the football, man, and get in the end zone. And, uh, so know, what was your most memorable time out there in a Clemson uniform? Uh, man, I don't, I don't know. Probably my first game I played in was Presbyterian College. First touchdown to Hopkins. But I also, it was one play where uh, a D tackle did a stunt and he bailed, and I was throwing like a drag route, throw an interception. I go over to t- tackle him, like, and it was a big hit, you know, but my helmet got knocked off as well as my school cap, you know. So, <laughs> so that one, it was a few of them, obviously. 2011, I remember playing Wake Forest, rolling to the sideline, scrambling out of the pocket before sitting there. Uh, with inches to spare, hit him in the back of the end zone, catch it. And that was the first ACC uh, division title Clemson has won in like 20 years. You know, so it was a pretty special deal for all of us involved because we knew what it looked like before. I mean, we were a part of the six and seven team, and um, yeah, your teams started the whole trend. At least that's what I contend with. You win well, the ACC yeah. championship, and, and, and that's it, what got a lot of Clemson fans all in. Yeah. You know, the positive part for Coach Sweeney at the time was that our team was so young uh, that he could pretty much take the team and form it. Because what happens, man, in any organization, business or whatever, if you have enough guys um, that aren't used to the way that the new hierarchy is, is structured, you know, they're not buying into that. And if those guys are in uh, authoritative positions, leadership roles, it starts to trickle down to the rest of the team. So Coach Sweeney was – was able, unfortunately, enough to cut it off at the head so that it wouldn't, you know, pretty much infiltrate the rest of the younger players. So after that six and seven season, we lost to South Florida. You know, Coach Swinney was like, "Look, you know, we got a decision to make. You know, you guys in this room, we can we could do something special, or we could just do do what we've been doing here." And I mean, that off season, you know, obviously uh, Joey Batson put us through the ringer. You know, <laughs> I never worked so hard in my life, man. And we were going through all of the coaching changes. You know, Billy Napier was gone. Um, you know, a couple other guys were gone. And I sat in on that whole process when Coach Winnie was looking at who was going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, so what impressed you about Chad Morris then? Um, just an energy level. I mean, because I was there when Ralph Regan came in a whole bit. And I knew Ralph because obviously Maryland recruited me as well. But, you know, Ralph was, was content in what he had been doing. And then you got Chad, who was just a wild card out of all the groups. So. You got all of these coaches that are like in the same category, just common, you know. And then Coach Winnie goes and grabs the guy who's the most out of the box, you know, something that Coach Winnie would do. But that's right? Coach Winnie, right? Coach Winnie is yes. in the hole. So, uh, you know, Chad had like coached like Tulsa for like one year. Before that, he was in high school, man. So, you know, Chad was like, there's a lot of people that question. Oh my gosh, bro, Absolutely. Coach Winnie when he Absolutely. made that hire. I mean, the offense sucked the entire spring, man, when Chad first got there. and you know, Was it a hard system to learn for you? At the time, because everything that I had did at the, in high school was under center. I didn't really play in the shotgun. So I'm not like a natural spread offense quarterback, you know. So I had to, like, learn that, man. So I'm sitting here trying to take on the terminology that Chad has given me, the, the options and everything else of that nature. And we had a rough spring, and Chad sat us down, sat me down at the end of spring practice and said, look, man, he was like – Either you're going to get it done or I'm going to find somebody else that will. Uh, There was only like three quarterbacks on the team at the time. It was me, it was Cole Stout, Donnie McElveen, Taylor Ogle. 
So he he would have had to go outside of the program. So it wouldn't have <laughs> happened anyways. It wouldn't it wouldn't have happened. But it's a good story, you know, because that offseason, man, I mean, I, it's just I grinded, bro. Like I He basically he just yeah. reinforced that yeah, all right, it's like, time to put some work in. Right. So you know, we go out and I mean, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into, man. And me and Chad still talking. I hate it for him in the situation that he's in Arkansas right now, but obviously in my eyes, you know, he might not see it the same way, but I know where that program is going to go uh, because I know who he is and, and what he means to, to the players around him. He cares about him. And, you know, we played Troy in the season opener. Or Wofford. It was one of the two. Troy and Wofford are the first two games. And we're getting booed at halftime in both of those games. One, we're losing to Troy at half. The second, we were tied with Wofford at the half. So it was kind of one of those deals where it's like, all right, what is this team doing, man? And then we had like a, a monster stretch right after that. Auburn, who, had, who was just coming off the, I guess, the undefeated streak. So that, off of the championship, uh, Florida State, Virginia Tech. So Auburn, Florida State, Virginia Tech. And they're all three-year ranked at the time. So it's the gauntlet for us. And we're like, man, you know, I don't know what we're going to do because we struggled those first two games. And we get in the Auburn game and start grabbing some momentum. Exploded. I mean, I remember hitting Sammy on like a little, uh, I guess it was like an inside hook route. Boom, boom. Split a defender, take it 60 yards. And we were like, yeah, that's that guy right there. And then, you know, Auburn, I mean, Florida State was the same way. It was, you know, I've seen the Noles my entire life, man, on TV. So that was, that was a pretty big one for us. And then Virginia Tech was cool because Coach made me a captain. So going back to the home state, it's October 1, uh, 2011. It's 40 degrees. It's raining sideways. I can't feel my fingers. And we found a way to squeeze that one out. So we won like 20 to 3. So I don't think we squeezed it out. No, you didn't out. squeeze it out. I remember that game. <laughs> yeah, but – um we going. To, I mean, it, we just went on a run, man. Yeah, you did. And and the crazy part about it is, it's like we we knew what we were doing, but we didn't know how we were doing it. So we when we took a loss, we took a loss. And when we won, we won. So we went eight and zero. Obviously, starting that season off, and then we won like we went on like a three game stretch where we didn't know who we were, man. We lost one game. We didn't know how to handle the loss. Um, that one loss beat us twice, and then it became something else. So we finished the season, uh, ACC championship game strong, uh, beat Virginia Tech again, go down to to, to Miami for the Orange Bowl, and um, yeah. yeah, we probably won't yeah. need to talk well, about yeah. that one, West right? Virginia's still scoring, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm sitting there, man, and this we come out hot in that in that uh, West Virginia uh, Clemson game, and it was. Pretty special deal. I mean, first BCS Bowl Clemson has played in in 20 years, too, and it's all of this uh, emotion, fanfare, everything, festivities, just unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, it became what it was, the Orange Bowl beatdown, 70-33. Yeah. And I remember sitting in that locker room at halftime, and it's 49-20. It's funny enough, like three weeks ago, I go, and I'm like, how did they – I'm trying to figure out how they got 49 points in the first half. And they scored 21 points in like a span of three minutes or something like that to end the half. And I remember Rashard Hall getting up. Um, he's like, hey, fellas, get your head up. We're going to win this game. And me and Andre Ellerton look at each other and like, who's going to win this game? We <laughs> <laughs> get the ball back to start the third quarter. 56-20 in a matter of seconds, bro. So at that point, half of the team is playing. The guys who are seniors are on the way out. They take themselves out of the game, literally. And, you know, but, you know, for me, most people talk about LSU being the turning point. I think it was really that game because that was a segue to being like, all right, well, 
just because you got there don't mean you belong there. And it was everything else after that. It was the wake up call. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we died another year with Batson in that weight room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, obviously the LSU game is, you know, I, I contend that the last second touchdown catch for a national championship doesn't even happen if there's not a fourth and 16 completion from you to New Hopkins. I'll I'll agree with that. Yeah. So how did that play happen? Um, Well, I'll tell you, it's not as glorious as Deshaun's. Hey, fellas, let's go be great. Yeah, it was none of that. You know, it was, you know, we get to the sideline and Chad Morris and and, and Coach Funny are looking at us and like, what do you, what do you think? You know, we're like, I don't know. What'd you think? (laughs) (laughs) Brandon Ford walks up and is like, hey, coach, we ran a play earlier. The play was unsuccessful. So I'm like, why? We didn't work the first time. And, before it was like, look, coach, they got, you know, there's going to be something there. So coach was like, what do you guys think? And I was like, well, let's do it. Because at the point, man, like we were so confident as a program, as as offense, because, I mean, that entire couple of last off seasons, nobody went on spring break. You know, Nuke, uh, Sammy, Brandon Forge, Ron Peake, all of us. I mean, we sat there, and I can still throw certain routes to those guys with my eyes closed right now. That's how many times we did it. So – you know, Nuke has always been one of those guys, though. And what was special about him, uh, more so than anybody, was he was able to uh, adjust his routes accordingly. So you would literally have the route drawn up on paper, and he'd be like, well, if the if the flat defender's playing this way, I'm going to, you know, come and find a window here. Or if the safety bells out and it's supposed to be aimed directly towards him, flatten it like a dig. So he was able to play the game within the game uh, because he did play quarterback growing up. So it was pretty special uh, knowing that he saw the same things that I saw on the field. Um, so, yeah, I was – I was he was the only person I was going to on that on that catch, on that play, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Because yeah. So when you threw it, though, did you see him? Did you see- Yeah, I mean, I knew where he was going to be. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I threw it to a spot at that point. Obviously, Slid made a catch. Uh, when you look back on it, I mean, for us, it really was next play. We didn't think that that play was going to be as big as it was. I mean, obviously, it was a huge turning point. But, I mean, he got a tattoo right here. I got a tattoo right here. So, it's pretty special. Yeah, very altogether. special. But, you know, Humphreys comes back to us after the game. He's like, hey, um. Newton was a great catch. Todd's a great ball. He was like, hey, but you know, I was wide open right there. <laughs> so the now film. Humphreys is a yeah. diva wide yeah, receiver, yeah. right? So, I mean, I go back and watch it. Humphreys would have walked in the end zone, literally. Oh. But, you know, it might have left some time on the board. So I'm going to keep it at that. Exactly. But, you planned that one perfectly yeah. just the way it is. So now when you decided to stop playing, yeah. any issues with you know just missing the game so much that you were depressed? You hear a lot of athletes Man, look, talk about that. You know, and we, you know, when B. Dot was talking earlier uh, a few days ago, um, he recanted a lot of the emotions that that we go through. I know that I went through. I mean, Andy, Andy saw it. You know, my girlfriend saw it. And, I mean, the darkest, just the darkest part of my life ever, man. Um, you know, at one point, bro, I didn't want to go out in public. Uh, I was eating cereal out of my car. I had a bed to lay in, bro. I didn't even want to. I just wanted to sit in the car, bro. And there were times, I mean, literally just drinking too much, partying too much. Uh, literally was in self-destruction mode, and I didn't want to be here anymore because um, I didn't know who I was, and I didn't even know what my purpose was or didn't even know uh, if I even mattered at that point, man. So I remember sitting down with Coach Fweeney, and at this point I'm like not like the most emotional person in my, in, in life. So I'm literally breaking down in front of him, man. And having damn near a panic attack, can't even breathe. 
And he stops me. He's like, what are you, what are you, you know, what's going on, man? Like, what are you crying about? <laughs> he was like, I was like, coach, man, like, I don't know, you know? And that was the thing. I really had no, like, you I knew what I felt, it? but I couldn't explain it, man. Like, I just was, it was nothing there. Like, it was literally empty. And um, Coach Swinney said, look, man, he said, you won't even, you won't even get it. You know, you won't, you won't even know. But he was like, the amount of people that you've been able to impact um, playing here, is is special bro so he was like you matter you matter to a lot of people that you don't you don't even know that you impacted and obviously you know as, as i've continued to to grow and mature i've been able to see that man at firsthand stories but yeah i mean football is it's tough man and you know we had a, six of us last week uh go to, over to the paul journey deal and we talked about that transition because it's important man because you know, all these kids have these majors and they got all these different opportunities, but at the same time, I mean, that's what you've done, man. So so all these people say you're more than an athlete. Well, you don't know that at the time because that's all you've done. So, yeah, like I, you know, he's, he's an intellectual guy or he can do this and he can do that. And, yeah, you can do it, but you don't even know how to because this is all you've done. So all of my energy, man, all, all of my uh, person, my whole world is tied to that. And there's nobody that's going to change that. There's no, at the time, it was, there's no girlfriend. It was, it was nothing that my parents could tell me because, you know, when you put in all that work, you want it to mean something. And if you feel like it doesn't mean anything, then that's when, you know, you stop being you completely. So when you see these guys that make all of this money and they still go through situation, and unfortunately, it ends the worst. Uh, it's because, man, like, you can't just stop, bro. Like, it just, that's the toughest part about it. I mean, for, for two years, I couldn't even watch football. Even Clemson games? Never. I mean, I just couldn't watch it. And uh, it was just it was a tough transition, man. So you what know? was the moment that you got over that? Uh, I never really. I mean, it's, Are you still? It's, 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 like, it just. You going know, through it. Year after year. I mean, it gets better and better, you know. But uh, there's times where, you know, I'm in a meeting and the whole conversation is supposed to be about this, but it's geared towards, you know, this this thing that I did. So although I'm trying to progress and move forward, you know, I'm still living in the past every day. So you're reliving all of these emotions and all of these experiences. And it takes you back to that place being like, damn, like That's when I was the man. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's it's been it's been interesting, man, because that's I mean, that's the reason that, you know, I'm so involved in some of these athletes' life. Is because everything that that they that they essentially did or are going to do, uh, you know, on the field, you know, what they're going to go through emotionally, I've already been there for them, man. So it's just helping them guide them that way. But at the same time, when I'm talking to them, I'm really talking to myself, you know. So it's kind of a it's an interesting deal there, man. But well, that's very wise yeah. to have that type of perspective. And so, what type of words of wisdom would you give those guys? Man, really, just just take it a day at a time. Um, you know, for for all of us, you know, obviously you got the big goal uh, to go play and, you know, make a lot of money or whatever it is. But sometimes we forget why we play. Um, you play it because you love it. You play it because, you, you know, that's that's what you've been doing since you were seven years old. And so many times we get caught up in everything else but that. Because what happens is the moment, the moment you continue to have success, everybody else is now in that journey with you. And whatever you get, they feel like they get, you know, and it's – you know, you, you feel like you owe them something because, yeah, they, they've they been with you every step of the way. But at the same time, you got to go through life realizing that you owe it to yourself, man, to treat yourself right, man. Figuring out what that is, because if you're not healthy all the way around, man, you can't help anybody else, can't. period, man. So, um, 
it's really just and, and talking about it. I mean, all of these guys, I mean, you know, they feel like they're in it alone. And literally, you know, majority of the guys who have achieved, I wouldn't even say you had to, had to do something special. I mean, you know, just the guys that loved it, the moment that it goes, they've been through that same type of emotion. Uh, so, you know, everybody, I mean, everybody goes through that, their deal and they have the internal demons that they're battling every day. And, you know, I still go through them. So, you know, just got to keep it It's moving, a process. It tri- striving and, and just continue to figure out what that purpose looks like. And if you don't know, surround yourself with people who do have that purpose. Uh, because if they do, then maybe you'll catch some of that that's rolling off of them, you know? Yes. Well, you've allowed me to spend some time with you and hearing more about that. And, Taj, I can't thank you enough for the time here on the podcast. Yeah, I, man. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you, Rich. Richmond Weaver, man. Big dog. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Taj, thank you, sir. Appreciate you, bro. Oftentimes, the impact of a legacy might not be fully understood, and it's often only once you're able to step away from it before you can truly see the impact of that legacy, and it's no different for Taj. And as you know, a legacy is truly a legacy when there's never any debate about it, and there's no one that can argue what Taj Boyd has meant to the Clemson football team and even Clemson University. Now that finishes episode 93, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.